All right, and welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here with Dad by Day Gaming. So uh, go check out his channel on YouTube. He's got some great gaming content. And we're going to continue part two of our review of Ready Player Two. And so sit back, relax, and uh, please enjoy. So let's move on to, again, let's get into the meat of this book, uh, the challenges. We talked a little bit about the shards, the new challenge that Halliday put out after he passed. So basically the idea is that these seven shards have been been put out, the, the siren shards. The siren represents Kira, and it's kind of you're going through all these like little quests that are like things that would be important to Kira. And at the end of each one, he gets uh, Wade gets a vision of one of Kira's memories. And I think that's kind of conceptually, again, a cool idea. It kind of gives some mystery about like, oh, did he just create these? And you kind of unravel more that, no, these are actual memories because he has that brain scan of Kira and he's he's actually, you know, he's like we said, invaded her privacy and taken these like things that are precious to her and used them in a challenge, which again is just such a weird way to, in a sense, redeem yourself by removing someone's autonomy and, and uh, like cogency over like what belongs to them and to put it in your fun game for someone to, to solve. Like that, again, it, it's not a redemption story for Halliday. No. It makes him look even worse. It's, it's little bits and pieces of him being creepy over every single challenge. So let's talk about the first challenge. It deals with like there's a calendar in Halliday's room yeah. and change the date or something. They have to change the date. Um, and the only way to do that was to find the calendar, put it on the wall, and then it changes the time period in that instance of that planet. And then they went back to Kira's house. Um, they had to get a cassette tape from the basement first. Holy fuck. And then they yeah. put... They, and then they put the cassette tape in the room in Kira's ha- in uh, Kira's room, and then they find a binder. No, well, no, they... well, so that's later. That's how they get the shard, though, is putting the cassette from um, Og's basement into the cassette player in Kira's room. Right. Th- there is a notebook when they go back, and they're looking for help on how to f- like get rid of Anorax. Um, that they go back, and that's when they find her little like notebook. With her actual like um, her D and D campaign, her D and D campaign, and that's how they figure out that the the Dork Slayer exists and stuff. Yeah, again, just just super convoluted. I there is no yeah. way. There's no way you throw as much money as you want at it. Nobody's got. Nobody's gonna put those pieces together. So that's the challenge that Lowengrin finds out about. She contacts Wade. Wade transfers her, transfers her the money after he cyber stalks her and and sneaks into her private group, her chat private chat with everything. her friends. Yes, yes. absolutely. And then it feels like later on in the book, when these other challenges come up, because there's seven of them, there's Wade, seven, yeah, I guess. Wade says he's like, there's a part where he has like this internal dialogue where he's like, I have to do this on my own. I will not ask for help. I must do this. And I was like, at this point, a huge amount of the population is held hostage. Yeah. And, and you think the threat is they will all be killed. Yeah. You should go out of your way to yeah. ask give all your money away to get help to solve this problem instead he won't even contact Lohengrin who seems to be a character that he trusts yeah and he won't even contact her and her like low five group well and and then it's like so contradictory to it's me. I, I think the reason why he doesn't ask a lot of people for help is because he doesn't want to incite mass hysteria right like because there absolutely could have been one group that they invite who comes over who's just in it for the views or something like that because streaming is still a big thing and they catch some bit about people being held hostage or whatever, and now mass hysteria has ensued. But absolutely asking like Lohengrin, her other four friends, because he trusts them. Well, and he should know to come and help is, I, is I a suppose, thing. I suppose you're right. Like he doesn't know blast, anybody. But he, like 
he doesn't know anybody, but like Sam does. But H does. Like, H is still H is still like one of the best PVPers in the entire Oasis. You're telling me that they couldn't have like she couldn't have found like five of her closest homies to come and help do this stuff. Like, like, like the, I can I play Warzone with it. You know I can probably name on one or two hands of like people that I trust that way that I play Warzone with. You're telling me that H doesn't know anybody like that. And like I think you could yield, use the Gunter community as a resource too. So maybe not everyone like putting it on blast like that. But they, they, no, like, there's but, a resource. But, but, in, but there are stakes in this one. They believe that there are stakes in this one that there were not in the first one, which is why they wanted to keep their their soloness going. There's no reason for that mentality in this situation. No, it, aside from not inciting mass hysteria, it is uh, really weird how this whole challenge is put together. But they they solved the first one. Let's move on to the second challenge, which is Sega Princess. Which let's uh, this is Shoto's time to shine. He knows everything about this really obscure. Uh, um, it's a video game that came out in Japan, um, but then when it came over to America, they, people didn't think that boys, the teenage boys, were going to play a game with the princess in the title or something like that, where you play as a girl. And so that was changed to like Sega Ninja or something like that. And you play like a dude. And you ninja. play as a dude, and and that's it. So it turns out that like Shoto's an expert at it, but it doesn't matter because Wade still has to play it. Yeah. And again, know. it's just playing yeah. another. It's playing another cabinet arcade game in some stupid pizza joint. And it's like, you've done that not once, but twice in the first book. Why on earth are you having me experience the power of the Oasis and the freedom of the Oasis via an arcade cabinet? Via a joystick and two buttons. Thank you, sir. Yeah. But it's just boring. It's boring. It's a boring part of the book because it's, it's, and then I threw three swords at this guy. And then there were ninjas with purple pants in this episode or in this, in this uh, level. And then... I jumped on these rocks and I almost and I was down to my one life and then I threw that last dagger. I got the final power up and she's like, dude, I that's a, not fun to read about. I had a note. It just says, holy fuck, he's just describing every level. Yeah. Like, that's that's it. There's no, there's... Which is why it's such a wasted opportunity yeah. when you have something like that. Why didn't they have it to where they recreate those things and they actually perform those tasks themselves and there's... There, you could describe a whole lot more than just some purple pixel dudes jumping around on a screen when it's like there could have been an actual fight. You know what I mean? Like you could have had to like create some of these levels in the Oasis and have the people participating in them like actually doing it in a three dimensional space and not just with a joystick and two buttons. That happens in the first book. Is it that Black Dragon game? It's a like a it. It's like an updated version of it where wade actually has to jump around and do things yeah i think so but again it's like he you don't do that in in this challenge he just plays the cabinet just play the cabinet game i don't get it this is like our first instance of a member of the high five just having depth of knowledge on something that seems so obscure all right so we've finished up sega princess they've completed that challenge and then you move on to kind of a break in between their next challenge where they get with faisal who's like their lawyer and they kind of come up, they spend a lot of time coming up with like legal strategies on how they're going to like keep this quiet or like how do they, how do they stop from being like sued later on yeah. if they've solved this issue. And it, it is way too much time spent on that about like the legal logistics and how they're going to navigate this. He's just a bureaucratic like bus boy, like yeah. peddling around legal jargon to try to make it seem like there's some real world corporate stakes or consequences. And it doesn't make any sense. Like it takes so long and it's. So uninteresting. Well, and it it doesn't make any sense either. Like, 
chronologically speaking, it doesn't make a, a bit of sense. So their decision is to lie to the public about the infirmware, about it not being a threat, um, there's a bug, blah, blah, blah. So that, the problem with this is this is a global system, right? The Oasis is something that everybody uses all over the planet. So when Anorak showed up an hour or so after the main characters of this story log on, he has everything locked down. So what about this person? What about the person on the other side of the planet who's been logged into the Oni net? He's been logged into the Oasis of the Oni headset for 11 hours or 11 hours and 59 minutes. And he locks it all down. But they're, they're, the company's position is to lie about it being just a bug. So you're telling me that when old boy in, in China has been logged in for 12 hours, his mom walks into the room, knows he's been on this thing for 12 hours and tries to wake him up. What's going to happen? What's the first thing that's going to happen? She's going to freak out because he's he's past the 12 hours, which she's going to believe is going to melt his brain through his ears. You know what I mean? Or or she can't wake him up. Those things are made out of like titanium. You can't take them off. So it's not like she can do anything. She's going to call the company. Every single person who reaches this 12-hour mark while they're just at the beginning of the, their 12 hours is going to come to this same problem. There's no way you that they're going to be quiet. able to lie about it. There's no way. You're going to have billions of people calling I'm pat like my son, my husband, my daughter, my my grandma is past their twelve hours, but it's not logging them out. I can't get this thing off their head. Please help me. There would be huge swaths of the planet that that have hit their time like, uh, yeah. kind of simultaneously just, just and every, every hour. Every hour by the hour. A different a every different time longitude zone, would yeah. like hit. Every time zone is gonna end up getting hit by this exact problem. There's no way you're gonna be able to keep this quiet. Why would you lie about it? Yeah. It's it's weird. Yeah, it's just weird. Thinking of it chronologically, they never address that whole thing. They make it that he makes it sound like everybody logged into the Oasis at the same time. And they all have 12 hours left. And they all have 12 hours yeah. left. And that doesn't make any sense. The people on the other side of the planet do not have your same times. They don't have your same time limits because they've been on it all day. Yeah. It's, it's just to add a little, I don't know. I, it was too weird to add like kind of legal drama to a book that should just be about your fun challenges. It's stupid. It's dumb. It's dumb. So let's move on to the John Hughes planet. That's like our next challenge. John Hughes, who did Ferris Bueller's Day Off and 16 Candles. And the Breakfast Club. Is it 16 Candles or 17 Candles? 16. It's 16. You can tell I'm a big John Hughes buff. Yeah. Um, I actually, that, that planet is kind of interesting to me. I, I don't, like I said, I don't like love all of his movies. I don't, I'm just not like super into 80s high school movies. Uh, but I, I do like the idea of like, it has all of the different uh all the different movies, but they all go to the same high school. And just like different parts of the high school look like the high schools from the movies. Yeah. I thought like, I like that idea. Like that's a fun that part. Was a good, that was a good challenge. It was a good challenge. There was a bunch that went into it. And it's like, it's not so old to where people probably like where people don't know it. You know what I mean? Like it's not obscure. Like Ferris Bueller is not obscure. No. Like no. we watched it a ton growing up. Yeah. I didn't grow up in the eighties. I love Ferris Bueller's yeah. Day Off. So like a lot of those references felt like fun to me because yeah. i was actually aware of what was going on it wasn't a reference to obscure 80s spider-man that only existed in japan yeah which is like a, a reference in the first book supida man yeah <laughs> um so I, I i thought that that world was fun and i thought would help make it fun is uh sam is the character who has all like the 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 knowledge about this and she loves john hughes movies. and it just so happens that john hughes was her mom's favorite director so of course she knows everything about it and like that's just the problem with all of these. This, there's just some lame reason why this happens to be their area of expertise, and it's lame. I won't deny that. It's just these challenges are a lot more fun to read about when it feels like the characters are also having fun. Yeah. 
And this section of the book felt like that to me. Which I think in this part, she gets a little carried away because there is something that she could do or say at, at one point and she intentionally does not do it just for the sake of building up like a punchline. And it's like, we're up against the clock here. If you have information about something that's going to happen or something we need to be doing, you need to be not wasting our time because it's not just our time. There's 500 million people who are being held captive right now. You're wasting their time too by trying to set up this joke and it's not even that good of a joke. So just carry on. Klein definitely tries to inject like artificial drama into his book. Like this is totally unnecessary and we're just leaving something out, like you said, for the sake of a punchline later. It's not good. Whereas I think practically these characters wouldn't be doing that. It's just, it's artificial drama and it is frustrating to read about. But again, this was just a fun little challenge, fun little world. I, I found out a really cool little Robert Downey Jr. fact I didn't know about. So that was kind of an interesting part of the book. I, I didn't hate it. Okay, we're moving on to Halcedonia. So I misspoke um, in the last review we did of uh, the first book. Halcedonia is the planet where the little kids go. Ludus is the planet with all the public schools on it that they had the first uh, key on. So they're two different, two different places. But Halcedonia is basically the planet that um, Kira and Og developed themselves to give kids like a place to go and play with um, animals. They like bought the rights to a whole bunch of TV shows like Pee Wee's Playhouse and the Big Comfy Couch. I loved that reference. And, yeah, the Big Comfy Couch one. That seems like kind of an obscure one, but I loved watching that as I a know. kid. So that was, and this must be how it feels like for everyone who grew up, who in, the grew up 80s. in the 80s. Like, oh man, I totally remember that. Oh, okay. Maybe this book is kind of fun because yeah. it finally mentioned something that I like. Yeah. So good on you, Ernest. Good on you. For mentioning Big Comfy Couch. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, in Halcedonia, you can end up earning like a tree house it's like basically your own space in the oasis and wade talks about that as the his first place that he ever really owned like a getaway you know and he used to go there with his mom a lot so this is supposed to be like a location where he has this big um like gripping i don't know coming to terms with his mom's death sort of thing because there's a part when he's inside and he sees her uh backpack uh hung up on the rack next to his and i think uh, he sees a picture of them yeah there's a picture of him and everything and like that was a pretty good i thought that was a, a decent part to him like dealing with it and he comes off as kind of cryy like a little too much crying sometimes a little bit but this was a good execute i think this was a decent well not good i mean i think it was a decent like execution of him showing emotions where they were supposed to be and who they were supposed to be directed towards right and then it's a good time to allow sam's heart to sort of soften towards him as well um because uh, I they, don't know if we've really got into that. They've broken up. They're not together. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, they it's supposed really to be like this really other. big deal that they dated for a week and then broke up and then it's three years later and he's still all up on her, like still all hung up on her. It's supposed to be a really big thing. I think it's pathetic, but whatever. Um, anyway. But I do like that section. I think Ernest Klein kind of reached his limit as far as <laughs> adding depth to a character. But he did. He tried to give Wade some more depth. It and was, I appreciate nice. that. Yeah. So... The challenge is to, like, get all the badges because you did yeah, all the math. Yeah, the, the challenge on the shard is basically the shield, like, the logo, the coat of arms for the queen of Halcedonia. So he goes and addresses, you know, the queen and asks for help. And kneels. And, Why is there so much kneeling in this No, book? no. So he says that you have to kneel because if you look her in the eye, she'll send you on a mandatory math quest. And they can take <laughs> oh up God. to an hour and they don't have time for that. But it's also, like... Like Lohengrin meets Wade oh, yeah. and she kneels. Like everyone's kneeling. Everyone's kneeling to these people. Like, <laughs> yeah, so like two kneeling. or three times they like, <laughs> they kneel like they're kings or gods and they're like, my liege is like how they act. On, and he's like, I, I nodded at her to rise and I told her to rise. That's like, dude, that's weird, it's man. so odd. Why are you having these children 
bow to other children. Well, and then it's also like other NPCs, like, oh, and then I bowed to, to so-and-so. And it's just well, like, it's but so like, odd. You like, interacting with an NPC one way will trigger them to do something one way. But me acting to you, I'm like never going to bow to you. Too That's much, silly. Too much kneeling in this book. Yeah. But anyway, so um, it turns out the queen's like, oh, yeah, um, I absolutely can help you with that. I just need to see your 50 badges of mathematical might or whatever they are. And it's, it's another like unnecessary time for h to like blurt out a curse word and oh, yeah. and it's just annoying oh my god like this is gonna take forever and he's like oh no don't worry guys i got these a long time ago with my mom's like oh how convenient yeah that you happen to do all 50 of these yeah. right when we needed you to that's yeah. uh, that's interesting yeah no that's a lot of a lot of this book we're gonna harp on the same problem because that's do you have anything else you want to talk about house donor or can we move on no we can move on to now my favorite part of the book. Okay, we're moving on now from Halcedonia to Connor's favorite part of the book, which is sarcasm because it's the it's when we get to the prince world, Ugh. which is the longest read I've ever had in my life. This, well, yeah, this, was, this world sucks. This was a brutal section to get through, and it's not because I hate Prince. I don't know Prince very well. I've never cared for Prince's music, and I it is more than okay to me that people are big fans of him, and I bet that this hit home for, oh, yeah. for a lot of if big you're prince a prince fans. fan you got off to this section definitely but it is so indulgent and yeah. and it's like oh they brought up every reference they could like oh you need the raspberry beret to drive the little corvette yeah and it needs to be fueled with purple rain they and go like, out of oh their way God. they go out of their way to infuse this section with information and like i honestly like don't even know if it's to like make h's character a bigger deal than she needed to be because it's like there is so much information and they paint her like She's the only one on the planet that has this much information. Not even, like, one of the best experts on Prince. Like, the only expert on Prince. And it all just happens to be because her dad, like, left her a box with some videos and magazines or whatever. And it's like, Records and stuff. And like, yeah. come on. Come on. And I talked about the John Hughes planet, and it feels fun because it feels like the characters are having fun. And so at this point... Um, Sam has gone to, she's logged out to do her own thing to help so, with the Og rescue. At this point, Sam leaves because she wants to go and help with the Og rescue. Like, the whole time you're, listen, you're like listening or reading to this portion, you are expecting her to be going to actively rescue this man. So keep that in mind because it doesn't happen. Yeah. Because at this point, they've, they've also found out that Og's being held captive by like droids that Anorak is controlling. He figured out there's like a three part. He left like breadcrumbs and the other clues and they were able to figure out that he was actually being held captive in Og's old house, which is down the road from Wade's current house. Right. So we get to the Prince world and H is the expert on this. What makes this part so insufferable is that no one's having fun and H is just like belittling everyone for not having the same amount of Prince knowledge that yeah. he does. And so for me, for... Because like I said, I don't know a ton about John Hughes, but at least I enjoyed that part because the characters are having fun. Yeah. I don't know a lot about Prince, but none of the characters are having fun. So I'm not having fun listening to it, it was, either. It was literally like her dragging the other two around through one secret door and into another secret door through a secret passage. Like, we get it, dude. It's all secret and you know it all. But it's just like dragging people around to go and gather items for this like big, massive battle, by the way, like. They're about to go have this huge battle. You know, when I think of Prince, I think of big bad guy to my video game. Yeah, which is I, what he is. I think of the seven. I think of the seven stage super boss at the end of Dark Souls, just floating around there with with doves coming out of his ass yeah, and, and stuff. I just, I don't uh, like <laughs> the idea to utilize Prince as like a final boss, and then for 
H to say, like, this is the hardest thing in the whole game. Like, no one, everyone dies. No one ever beats the seven princes. Even people who are max level, no one ever wins. I was like, why would Halliday, of all the things he could pick to be the ultimate bad guy in his oasis, why would he pick seven princes? It's just so odd yeah, it to is utilize weird. prince well, in that way. And it is still weird to me, too, how they they talk about getting to level 99 like it's this big thing. But then it's still, they talk about how you still can't do all of these things. There's, you're, it can kill a 99th level player in one hit. And it's like, I mean, is that to try to like incentivize you to go and play the game and do these storylines so you get an artifact that will help you? Or is it like, what is the point of being level 99 in this story in the first place? I don't think it means anything. It doesn't mean anything because if, if everything that you go up against will kill you in one hit, what difference does it make? Right. We get to the final showdown with the seven princes after we go through a really long, convoluted item gathering quest. Well, no, it's not even that. They 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 have to go pick up a like a they go pick up invitation band. band well, they or go something? no. It's like, and I wanted to Google this before just because I had no idea who they were talking about. But it's like band members from other groups or uh, or like a, another band altogether, like associated with Prince. I, ha- I I I don't know. It felt so long, and I was so lost. I, like, I, I don't yeah. know. And they they must be the most obscure bands ever. I have, I have no, no idea. idea who they are. But then there's this huge like fight that happens between all of them. They're shooting sonic blasts out of guitars, and there's like microphone guns, and then they they summon minions through this mirror, and it's like it is just so much. After listening to so many like gathering steps, there's this big fight against so many players all over the place and if you don't know it makes it even worse if you don't know any of them yeah because it's literally just like obscure name fought this obscure name and this obscure name finally defeated this obscure name and you're just like i don't even know who's fighting right now none of it means anything because i have no context for what's going on no and and again i guess it doesn't it's not necessarily his fault for writing that but it definitely is like you should have picked some material that was probably a little bit more popular to people who are going to read your book now in 2020, 40 years after this decade that this dude was most popular in. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a tough part to get through. The thing I think is most frustrating about it is there's a part where Shoto is starting to go through that. Um, what's it called? SS? Shoto is like 45 minutes away at this point from hitting his 12, 12 hours. His synaptic overload. And so he's starting to like act. I think the the point is he's starting to like act weird. And they're trying to he's trying to make SOS become a real thing to the reader. Right. That this is like a real threat that they need to worry about. Even though time wise, when Wade addresses it, he's he's like almost an hour away from hitting his twelve hour mark. There's no reason why he should have. There's no reason why he should have shown symptoms. And the the way that he shows symptoms, I think, is the strange thing too, because he comes up with this like perfectly laid out rhyme that disses prince yeah and then hysterically laughs about it while the purple lightning bolt comes and kills him it's like synaptic overload is about your brain taking too much damage like like you're fried you're fried but it doesn't say anything about how you're going to be able to magically have the ability to come up with this awesome rhyming diss against prince it's because you have all this knowledge it's it's context it's a contextual knowledge based on prince diss on him and it's like doesn't it's make like, any sense and it's clever and it doesn't feel like it, someone whose brain is overloading no. would be able to come up with it and so he gets struck by the lightning he zeroes out his character is what we believe is dead now um and h's like reaction is to be like i told him not to diss the great purple one or whatever i was like your best friend someone that you've gone through so much with is dead now and it's just like and that's why h is so insufferable it's like is to make a joke out of it 
And and that's why that's another thing I think just Ernest Klein doesn't do well. He doesn't know how to like write deaths and then like the impact they have following it. He just they just kind of move on from it, you know. And that's like the that's the one tough part about his reads. Um, anyways, the, the H and Wade manage to defeat the seven princes. They get whatever the next shard is, and we can finally move on from the hardest part of this book to maybe kind of one of the, the more fun things. The one part I really liked is we get to Arda one. It's just really cool. I love that fantasy world. So to kind of bring it in is really neat. Unfortunately, H is still with Wade during this part. And she <laughs> says, she says one of the worst things ever. I think she's like, Oh, we have to go to, we have to go to Arda where it has, Oh, all the white men and all the white hobbits and all the white elves and all the white dwarves and all the orcs are people of color. And I just want to say like, Kudos to Ernest Klein because while it's H saying this, it's it's Ernest Klein who wrote this to pick one of the greatest authors of all time to put his work into your own work and then to simultaneously shit on it and criticize it for being racist while you still can't come up with anything original yourself is kind of amazing. Like the balls on Ernest Klein to say something like it's... this about Tolkien is kind of incredible to me. And I kind of, I, I really hate that that's how we're introduced to Arda and this like really rich story that goes on there and like all this amazing writing that Tolkien's done. But it's just, it's baffling to me that that's how you think that's the way to introduce this. No, and it, it, it like further proves how shallow of a character H is, right? Because she spent the first whole book a, playing as a white dude character, right? Like, and was, and... I don't believe that the way that you look in the Oasis has anything to do with the way that your character performs. You're a bunch of ones and zeros. Like you have white dudes playing as black girls and vice versa. Like this whole idea of saying that there's kind of like this whole like white privilege thing in the Oasis is absurd to me because you can be whatever you want to be and it's going to function based on your character, not based on the way that it looks like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me how you're going to like open up this whole idea of being who you want to be and then still making it about like race. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think you have a really cool opportunity with this book, especially by introducing the O&I, which is essentially just a big exercise in empathy. It's like you can live the life of, of a minority or someone who is a different gender than you or someone who has a different sexual orientation than you. So the idea that like this amazing tool exists in the Oasis and people have access to this, these memories and these feelings that other people. And have Wade gone even through. talks about it being like this great equalizer. Like he's like yeah. sex and and sexual orientation is not really a thing anymore because you can experience it as either one or the other. Like it talks about them adding a gender zero yeah. just because who you have sex with just doesn't seem to matter anymore because of the O and I. So yeah, you have this machine for empathy, but then you're still having your characters pedal around this racist nonsense and it just is wh why it felt like a good opportunity to yeah like explore the idea of like you know maybe we are kind of past that maybe we maybe we have like learned and we we are actually using this tool for empathy to gain empathy and then to still have that kind of like rear up and still be brought up i was like man well then it feels like we haven't really turned the corner no nope. like it feels like maybe the o and i didn't do what you thought it was going to do it really isn't as helpful as you think which kind of diminishes its introduction in general if it's not really functioning the way that we're kind of told early on it does function yeah. if people are still, you know, no one's learned anything yet. And that was, that was a frustrating part of this, of this part of the book for that, that to still be being brought up. And I was like, man, well, it felt like you built something in that could have like been a good like, yeah, lesson was, learning for yeah, people, you know? Yeah. That was a good, like, that was a good idea that you had yourself to make these characters 
say for you, and then you crapped all over it by making H talk about how racist white people are, and it sucked. Especially Tolkien. Like, come on, yeah. man. Well, and then... Mega pacifist who's never done anything wrong. So, if I mean, <laughs> we can move... Like, I something else that H does in here, which is particularly annoying, I think, is yelling at Wade because he doesn't have all the answers when it comes to how to figure out this challenge in particular. Like, she catches a glimpse of him with a search window open or something like that, and she's like, you don't know what we're doing. And it's like, okay, slow down for a second here. And yes, in every other challenge, I've had the experts in all of these areas conveniently. Like, I'm allowed to not have a 95% solution of this challenge we're about to, like, come into contact with. I'm sorry, this isn't a world that I know everything about. Like, you knew about the Prince world. Like, that was a pretty cut and dry one where we knew exactly what we needed to do because you were the genius or the, the movie world, whatever it was. What's his name? John, John uh, Hughes, yeah. The John Hughes one. Like, everyone knew exactly what they needed to do when they got there because they were the experts. And it's like, that might not just be this way. And I kind of like the idea of they're not being yeah. immediately the expert because it added more stakes it added, to the story. It added stakes. It added tension. They had to get there and figure out what they needed to do. And then it, that was going to present a problem. And they were going to have to use their combined knowledge and skills. Their combined knowledge, not the knowledge that H had, not the knowledge that, that Samantha had because Sam or because Wade didn't have it. It was the combined knowledge of all of them together is what would have gotten them through that challenge. But instead, this just ends up being another one where somebody puts a leash around Wade and drags him around like a little puppy dog. Yeah, so we can move on. H dies later on in this world. Woo! <laughs> and Samantha shows back up, and it turns out, again, this is part of my problem with her character, is that everyone's just in the service of Wade. So she turns out she is a big expert on Tolkien, and she knows everything about the Silmarillion, and she knows how to solve this quest as well. She pops in, they, they, get, up, they get through it, but what I think that this section of the book the way it really functions narratively is to really tie in like all these hints we've had at the, the feelings that Samantha is starting to have again for Wade. And I think Wade kind of gaining some empathy and not being such a, a, a big recluse creep. I think more of that stuff has been like, it's been hinted it's at. It's been building up at. to this point. And yeah. so this, this section really only, it exists to show that they care about each other. It's again. the catalyst for getting them back together is essentially all it is. Right. And so it's fine. And it's, it's just fun because I love Middle Earth and, and I just think it's neat in that way. It was nice when H was gone and we could have like, a, it just felt like there was so much noise when she's in the book. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like, I think the thing that's like really nails on the chalkboard when it comes to H is just the unnecessary, like cursing just to, just to make, maybe it's his way of trying to like make her more edgy and I guess, I don't know, but it's stupid. It, it doesn't make the use of those words does not make her explain her point any better. Yeah. And, and again, it, it this falls into a lot of the same problem I had with the first book is I don't understand who this is written for because it feels like it's written at the level like a child would understand. But the language but, isn't but then you have, appropriate. Yeah, then you have H, you know, throwing around F-bobs all the time. And, you know, we're not ones to shy away on this podcast, but I also have never put out that this is, it has never been in a format that I no. think a kid would just like log on and be but, able to be. But, but like you cussing doesn't further your, like it doesn't, it doesn't further like clarify your point to whoever's listening to this right now. It's just part of your vernacular, like right. to some degree, but it's like, it's just too much with her and it's annoying. Yeah. So we've gotten out of Arda. This kind of gets to what I, what I hoped could have been a, a same sort of sequence is when Wade escapes IOI. It's something that takes place outside of the Oasis. And this is where they're going to kind of commence that rescue on Og. Oh they, yeah. They, yeah. They're going to go to his mansion and break him out. And this felt like it could have been a cool thing, but a lot of it doesn't make any sense to me. Like Sam insists on being like on location to be there. 
you at that point like you're a liability in a in a kind of like in a tactical sense like she, you and, and, I, and she's not a yeah. SWAT team member she's operating a medical drone she's not a doctor like why is she there and I, I'm not gonna like bring this up like you and I are some kind of big experts we're both in the military like I got out you're still in I know enough about tactical situations that you wouldn't put a civilian who has like no real value there no in a situation that now you need to look out for someone who hasn't given you a tactical advantage they're giving you a tactical disadvantage and and to like touch back on a point i probably made 20 or 30 minutes ago at this point she was supposed to be doing this the whole time she was absent from this whole eight or from the whole like the prince the world, prince yeah. world so what did what did she do the whole time she just sat in that apc the whole prince world just because they needed an excuse to get her away so when h finally died she could come and do the superhero oh, landing back, yeah. and save wade and they could have their little moment together it's like she was supposed to be doing this this whole time yeah it is weird that it, it felt like that could have been a part of the narrative that got wrapped up like kind of off screen. And then when Wade comes back, it's like, oh, cool. We've we finished that, that part. It, it, there's no point for her to be there. There was no point for her to be gone. There was no point for her to be there. Like if she had been with them on the Prince World, maybe Shoto wouldn't have died. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, there's no reason for it. So we haven't really mentioned him yet, but Sorrento is in this book and he's been broken out of prison by Anorak. Uh, through like digital means he's he's find a way to get him out and the reason he needs to be out is because they're they need a human being physically there to control the drones yep that are guarding the house that they're holding august which seems odd to me that if you have the means to break into a maximum security prison and capture aug and hold everybody hostage that you can't jailbreak a few drones yeah no i agree with that i also think why would you pick the most dangerous unstable person to carry out this for you yeah i just think that I, it, it sorrento would, doesn't belong in this book at no. all like it, it to be like it talks in there too about how he's been on death row for two years yeah and i didn't google this and i meant to how long it normally takes for like the average death sentence to be carried out i guarantee you it's less than two years no, there, no it's long there are people there are people who've been on death row for like decades really oh yeah oh okay oh, yeah. well then i guess it's totally plausible i was like dude this guy should be dead why is he like he's one of the most notorious criminals of his of his age of his generation why is he still alive and the idea that anorak who has run the simulation millions of times this is the, the best one version is the this. best version was the one where he teamed up and he had sorrento as a sidekick apparently i think you could easily just i mean you could take someone from like low socioeconomic status and just be like i'll give you a trillion billion dollars to just sit here and press a button on a drone and absolve you of the consequences because you have all this money and i'll just send you off and you can do your own thing. Yeah, There are, especially if it's this overpopulated world that, that has all this famine and poverty in it, you just get someone low there socioeconomic There are far status. more creative ways yeah. to make this happen other than bringing an old bad, an already defeated bad guy back in who just immediately dies. Yeah, I didn't love it. He immediately dies. He never does anything of any consequence. No. So we know Sorrento's back. He's he's turned on Anorak, like surprise, surprise. He's... He's got a gun to Og, and he's like, you know what? Like, I'd rather kill him and, like, get my own revenge than, like, go on with this plan anymore. And Anorak has taken control of one of these drones that's in the house. And he says, uh, as a self-appointed representative of the state of Ohio, he's like, I'm going <laughs> to carry out your death sentence. And he shoots Sorrento in the head, which causes Sorrento to then, like, pull the trigger and shoot Og. But when it's written, he says, you know, I'm self-appointed, whatever. I'm going to carry out your death sentence. Yeah. And then Wade says... And without warning, without warning, the drone pulled the trigger yeah. and the bullet hit Sorrento. I was like, he literally just 
said the warning. Yeah. He said that he was going to carry I'm gonna out carry the death sentence. I'm going to carry it out. And then I pulled the trigger. Yeah. It was just so funny how like unaware he is of his writing style. Yeah. It was amazing to me. I was like, he gave the warning yeah. in the book. <laughs> well, and then like that goes to like my problem. My particular problem with this is again, they're sitting there saying stuff like, they, they say all the time in this book, well, haven't you ever watched a movie? That's not how it works in the movies. And then it happens exactly the way that it does in the movie. Well, what happens in most movies in this kind of a hostage situation when they shoot a person in the head? I would say more often than not, the person with the gun spasms and pulls the trigger. And that's not what anybody wants. So if Anorak is so Halliday or whatever, I mean, it's just another one of those things where he should have like shot at his hand or something. Because yeah, the in gun, the movies, yeah. when you shoot somebody in the head, they pull the trigger. Yeah. No, it's it, the the book is so self-aware yet also unaware of what it's so saying. Completely all the time. oblivious. Yeah. Completely oblivious. So Og's been shot. Sam, who has no background in any in the medical field or any medical knowledge, manages to at catch least him no up. established. Yeah, at least no established experience is now administering battlefield like trauma. Yeah, precise first aid yeah. in like under a minute. They get Og out. They're gonna save him and everything, but he's not in good shape, and that really just sets us up for the climax of this book. He, we've gotten the shards together. The last challenge is just to put all the shards together. It's a hard one. It's a hard yeah. one. And then they Wade pulls a little fast one on Anorak. He gives him fake shards, Ha-ha. which apparently have been planned this whole time. So we had no idea that that was going on. There, I think it mentions something. In like Because they have two separate conversations back at the GSS headquarters like while Faisal? they're doing this whole thing with Faisal. And it has to have happened during one of those things. It He mentioned something about it, and it happens during one of those conversations. It just felt like... I, I felt, forgot about it. I completely forgot about it. And he's like, to my own specifications, I'm like, where the hell... Like, where did so, this really precise thing come from? Yeah, which kind of like leads to some other problems I have, but I'm not, maybe we don't have time for that. But the fake shards allow Wade to take back the, the robes, robes of Anorak. And so now he he's put himself in, a, in the castle Anorak that only he can access with those robes. And so he's safe from Anorak now. And basically, like, he makes a bet, the wager with Anorak that, you know, whoever, who they'll fight. You know, he needs to fight. Well, before they even go after Og, he does that. Because he says, I have, like, I'll push the button if you don't release Og. Right. So that even happens before. But then even still, like, after that, they're saying, like, I'll push the button, I'll push the button. And he's like, no, sorry. Like, I'm not going to release your friends. It's like, okay, well, then I'm going to die and so is Og now because he's got a bullet in his stomach. Like, and then you're not going to get what you want. Like, like no one like, gets what they want. Like now, Anorak has just lost all of his leverage because now the only two people that can get him, he's running. Like, Wade is running up on his twelve hours. He's starting to get migraines, which doesn't make any sense because he's got like thirty minutes left in his twelve hours. Og has been shot in the stomach. Like, Anorak has zero cards left to play. He's and no he's, leverage. Yeah, and he still won't play ball. Like, yeah. even though the success of his mission is determined by this person now who like wade has all the power in this situation and for some reason anorak doesn't grasp that concept no it's yeah it's it just like logically it's tough to get through because it for if you've built this up as the highest tier of ai who can essentially has been able to gain a ton of knowledge and do most anything why has anorak not put this together well and this is also the same point in time where anorak is basically like oh no they're all safe i was never going to hurt anybody to begin with and it's just like his whole villain persona just starts falling to pieces. He becomes stupid. He's become no threat. And yet he still thinks that Wade's bluffing and won't do what he's saying he's going to do, which I don't think Wade would have either. But it's like Anorak just slowly loses every single bit of credibility. He loses every card he had in his hand to play in the space of 
15 minutes of, of book right here. Right, right. So then it kind of makes the it makes the whole fight that's about to happen means like so meaningless. And it's so goofy how it's set up. He, he's like, okay, we'll come on out of the castle Anorak and we'll fight. And Wade's like, I never said I had to fight you. Oh yeah, that is that is very much like heist, like like Saturday morning cartoon hero shit to say. Yeah. I actually thought it was gonna be Lohengrin that popped out. I was like, what a great way to introduce this character back. Maybe she does the fight. That'd be kind of cool. But it's not. It's Og in his own powerful robes. And we get what I think is supposed to be a really cool fight. It talks about how these are like gods and titans, and it, it feels like the most epic thing they've ever seen. And people show up and they start like putting it on their video feeds and stuff. But I don't understand the power level of anyone in this book yeah. or this series. Right. So saying that he shot lightning and it was deflected or there were massive explosions, like I don't I don't understand what any of that means because I don't have the context for what any. And of that if means. you think about it too, like Og has to have some item that's comparable to the robes of Anorak, right? Which would have made him invulnerable and invincible and all powerful or whatever. Yeah. Anorak doesn't have those anymore. There was no way that he was ever going to lose. Like, there's no way that Og was ever going to lose. He has to have some kind of similar item that Holiday programmed for Anorak that gave him every ability, every like all power. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like whatever was, whatever Anorak has, Og has something comparable. And at least it, and then this in this scale, when we're talking about those items specifically, it's like it's like an adult fighting a little child at this point. Like there's no way the child can win. He doesn't have his invincible robes anymore. Wade has them. Yeah. Og has to have something like that. There's no way that Og can lose unless Og dies in real life. Yeah. And Og also has the Dork Slayer, doesn't he? He also does have the Dork Slayer, which was Lohengrin's whole purpose in showing up and dropping it and then getting hit with a spell and turning into, like, black smoke. Yeah. Which this is supposed to be a weapon that is coded specifically to kill Anorak. Like, that's it. Which, and that's I the only like, reason it exists. That feels like an odd amount of foresight to believe that this thing was going to ever do anything that would have put people's lives in jeopardy and you had to yeah. code something specifically for this eventuality i feel like that's an odd thing to yeah i was like just in case your npc gains sentience i just need to have a and, weapon and it, just, and it just so happens like yeah i mean he but he was already like old and sick at this point too like it was about to be the end of the time where this item could have been used and it ends up being used yes yeah, so we get it we he kills him right he kills anorak he cuts anorak in half with the sword yeah okay so yeah so we we get to the conclusion og kills anorak and the day is saved. The shards are united. The day that we had previously found out was never in any actually any actual danger is saved. Yes. Yeah, because everyone was just in a nice. They were just taking. They a were nice just nap. taking a nap, yeah. man. <laughs> but then we get the the shards put together, and that's your introduction to Kira, the digital version of Kira, which is um, so weird. I don't. I don't really understand what is happening. I just don't really get why this storyline exists. If it's not just to be like, hey, men, stop being creepy to women. That's like why I feel like Kira exists in this book. That's kind of why I feel like this whole book exists. Yeah, I mean, I I, th I think most normal people know to not be creepy to women. I don't know why you need to write a book about it and have an entire character in here just to make that point come across. Yeah. Seems like a little much. And like we said, just a big convoluted contest that is supposed to be the redemption of, of Halliday, and it's not. No, it's, 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 way, it's now Wade's responsibility on what he wants to do with it, and it's it has nothing to do with Halliday at all. Yeah. We also find out that these brain scans that the ONI does, it saves a, essentially a digital file, a digital version of each person every time they log in to the Oasis. And because Og happened to put on one of the ONIs right before he died, his digital version is now uploaded and he sees Kira and they start making out. And it's just so funny. Like these characters are supposed to be like kind of grown ups and stuff. Yeah. But Wade and Sam are like, oh, and then they started kissing and we turned away because we're four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so odd. Yeah, I do remember feeling that way. I'm like, why, dude? Like, 
Okay, why aren't you making out with Sam right now? Right, yeah. So that that all felt weird. But I think the end of this book brings up real questions about like, okay, how do we treat artificial intelligence? Intelligence. How do we treat sentience? How do we treat autonomy? I well, think there are and copies copies of people's brains because it, in this one it seems like it, they play pretty fast and loose with if you're a copy, are you going to like feel that you were scanned and then wake up in the oasis right. or you're just going to feel scanned and now you're still in the same chair you were in which means that you're not the copy that's going to live forever like yeah I, they didn't like i don't know i think he played pretty fast and loose with some of that we had some good conversations we were talking about the other day i just think that there's a lot of big questions that this book it, it kind of teases at yeah but it never actually no. tries to answer them in a in an intelligent way. It's just sort of like they get put on a ship at the and, end, and, w- and, and when he, whatever like, happens happens. Yeah, they're like, well, I guess that's the problem for digital Wade. The end. And so there's a lot of big questions about yeah. like, that's a huge responsibility to decide. Essentially, you're the arbiter of a, a brand new kind of existence, a race essentially of yeah. digi- of uh, uh, like literally um, eternal beings, and it doesn't really answer those questions i don't even know that it's asking the questions it's just it's those concepts. it's presenting problems yeah. and concepts like the more you think about it the more problems and the more problems you think of and that's like maybe that's probably the thing is it's he's trying to like incite an idea that is so volatile that you just keep asking your own questions until you've thought of something fun to think about for him all right yeah so like i i, I think all these concepts are floating around in the book, but it's not really asking the questions. It's not really trying to answer them. It just brings up like what it, what should realistically be big things. Yeah. And it's not really discussing them. One thing I would definitely recommend is a book by Ken Liu called The Hidden Girl and Other Stories. He does collections of short stories. Uh, one of his more popular collections is uh, Paper Menagerie. He's an amazing short story writer, amazing science fiction writer. And a lot of his short stories deal with like the, uh, the arrival of, of, the first AI, like the true AI, like sentience. And it deals a lot with how do you choose to forgo your physical life and become a digital person? Because essentially you're, you're ending your life physically in these books to become a digital version. But like your true life, like your physical life is over now. A copy of you will live on, but you're no longer living. So there's short stories in there dealing about like a mother and a father and their daughter wants to become digital. And they're like, yeah, but you'll be dead forever. Like you'll be dead to us forever but you'll, a version of you will live on. And there are, those books ask real questions and they have like these big answers in them or uh, maybe not answers, but, but it, it's exploring that. Yeah. And this book just kind of puts them out there and then, and then, it, and then, and then the game, yeah, game over. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, okay, well, great idea. Make right about that. Yeah. Like, like really it, I almost would have rather him left it like on a cliffhanger or something like that with this whole thing instead of him sending him off into the Vonnegut off into space and stuff like that and then ready player three could have started from here but then it would basically be a completely different book like there's a trilogy i've read that's called like we are bob and we are legion and it's basically the same kind of thing like right. how do you go about exploring the galaxy when you're one dude but you can make digital copies of yourself at, at like at that particular moment and you can 3d print new ships to go and colonize but you're like it's all just the same like just copies of the same dude over periods of time and how the copies branch out and really become different people and they disagree with each other even though they're they're copies of the same dude just at different times because right. the moment you make a copy that copy is now a different person they have different experiences and it branches out really well like that and that it would essentially be that book and 
I would rather read that book than Ready Player Three. Our big recommendation is read a different book than yeah. this one. <laughs> that would, that's what we're really trying to get across here. <laughs> Right, 10 out of 10 would recommend <laughs> yeah. a different book. <laughs> different book. <laughs> All right. I think we're, we're kind of wrapping this one up. I guess my final thought is, I again, I don't know who this book is for. The references don't land unless you kind of lived in that era and you just like all the same things. I think, thankfully, there was a couple of references that I actually got in this, so that, that made it a yeah. little bit better. But the story feels like it's written for a child, but then there's like gratuitous language in it. And it's too simple for like an adult, I think, to read it and really enjoy it. So I don't know who this book is for. What is your final thought on this? Really, this book is just, if you think about this book and the problems it presents, there are just so many problems just littered around. Like if you think about it with a commonsensical brain, you're going to come up with questions like, I have a question. Why is GSS still making weapons when they know that war is a problem in the world? That's like if Tony Stark had come back from the cave in the first Iron Man and kept making weapons. Why... Does Wade all of a sudden love Aunt Alice in the second book when he they couldn't stand each other in the first book? Oh, you're like, so right. There's so many questions that I ask myself every time I think about this book, and it just drives me nuts. Yeah, that's a that's a good closing thought. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, unnecessary H curses. Where do you put this? Oh, this is like a one. Like I, I gave it a four originally. It's it's just. It was worse the second time. I like was it was painful because I knew how bad it was going to be listening to it the second time. Right, Just, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, this is a one. I didn't like this book. I didn't like the first book. I didn't like this book. I will not be. Uh, Ernest Klein has a book called Armada out, which is supposed to be his better book. That is a good book. I've read that one. That's a good book. Okay, well, I don't think I want to give him any more money. So, I think I'll draw the line. I'll, this I'll mail you the paperback. <laughs> All right. Uh, so with that, Kiefer, I just want to thank you for being a guest. Thanks for doing this uh, this book review. I, I more of a book of discussion. I want to do a little book club thing. So this is a, even though I didn't love the book, it was nice to have a discussion about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and uh, remember, be good to yourself and be good to each other. Ryan, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.